Appreciate it so much. Always enjoy hearing my family and seeing my family serve the Lord. And I'm grateful to God that they do. It's a delight to be with you today. I'm thankful for the opportunity and uh, what a joy it is to be here today at the Southwest Baptist Church in Midland. My wife and I and our family served for eight years out in El Paso, Texas. Uh, not too far from here, about the same distance uh, west as we are currently east from you. And so we're serving just a couple hours south of Dallas at the Northside Baptist Church in Nolanville, Texas. And uh, God's doing a mighty work there. Uh, not many people know where Nolanville is. It's just a small little town, uh, but it's attached to Harker Heights and Colleen. There you'll find Fort Hood. Uh, Fort Hood is home, and Colleen is home to the largest military installation in the free world. And we're grateful to God for that. Its, its size and its population uh, make it that way, the, the largest. They call it the Great Place. And uh, we're grateful to God to serve amongst some of America's finest there at Fort Hood. And I have the privilege of pastoring that church. I'm now in my eighth year. I'm grateful to God for what He's doing in that place. I'm thankful that our church is passionate about knowing the Lord. I'm glad that our church is faithful or faithful in serving the Lord and faithful in being a, a witness to others in the community. What a blessing. And I'm grateful. I'm grateful that they've given themselves to the matter of prayer. And we're grateful to God for what He's doing. We've been celebrating this last month, in the month of October. It's our missions month. We've been doing some preaching on reaching the world with the gospel. I was praying that God would allow me to preach a message like that to you, speaking about the opportunity of the local church. I spoke this morning in Sunday school about the fire of the local church. Where does it come from? It comes from preaching the gospel. It comes from purposing in your heart to give yourself to the Lord. And it comes from prayer. Our church is a praying church. It's a praying church. And I'm grateful to God for our people. There's great opportunity God's given the church. A great opportunity. He's given you a great opportunity to reach the world. You have the opportunity to reach the world. A church is not great because of its size. It's not great because of its choirs. It's not great because of its singing. It's not great because of its hymns. It's not great because of its furniture, its building. A church is not measured by its size or any of those other characteristics. But it's measured by what sort of a church it is. By what sort of a church. Is it a church that loves the Lord Jesus Christ? They're preaching the gospel. They're praying. They're fervently seeking the Lord. It's measured by its sort. We have a responsibility. You have a responsibility to God if you call yourself a church. You have a responsibility. If you call yourself a Christian, you have a responsibility. If you call yourself a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, you have a great responsibility. And uh, God has laid it upon us. Uh, it was Paul that said it like this, Woe unto me if I preach not the gospel of Jesus Christ. Woe unto me. He said, There's a great door and effect shall open unto me. Oh, there's many adversaries, but I must preach the gospel, he said. And every church must be a center for world evangelism, bringing others to Christ. 
Uh, it's a delight to be with you today. It's a delight on this Veterans Day weekend. How many of you here are active duty, retired, or prior service? Would you raise your hand? You're a veteran. Wonderful. God bless you. We're glad to have you here. Your pastor asked me particularly uh, to point that out, and I'd like to say thank you for your service. God bless you so much. And uh, we just had ourselves a big Veterans Day service on Wednesday. We have a big banquet. Invite some of our delegates. Some of our state representatives were with us. We're grateful for that. Had some special speakers coming in uh, that have some military background. And uh, our place was full, packed out. I don't know how many people we fed, but it was a great time. And it was greatly encouraged. I want you to pray. Would you pray? Would you make it a purpose to pray uh, for our politicians? And particularly, pray for the Christian politicians. We had our state representative, Hugh Shine, in with us on our Wednesday meeting. And I first time meeting him, uh, he came to the service. He was invited by someone in our church, and we were glad to have him. He's a good Christian man. I asked him in the office, I said, I said, Mr. Shine, I said, do you know the Lord Jesus Christ is your personal Savior? And he said, Absolutely. There's no doubt about it. I said, that's wonderful. I, too, am a Christian. And we prayed together. I was there with our guest speaker. We prayed together. This guest speaker was a retired full bird colonel in the United States Army. He was an aviator pilot and uh, flew all the Chinooks and all, all these large uh, helicopter uh, aircraft in the, in the Army. And he declared that he too was a Christian. And we prayed and asked God to bless in a mighty way. We're getting ready to go in where the others were. And uh, Representative Shine grabbed my arm and he said, Before we go, he said, Can I just share something with you? And I said, Feel free to do so. And he said, I know I should be celebrating a victory yesterday. This was on Wednesday. Tuesday, of course. Hope you voted. Uh, Tuesday was elections. And he said, I know I should be celebrating a victory. And I do. It's no small thing, trust me. So we work at it diligently. And he said, but there is a lot of wickedness in politics. He says, it's so ugly. He says, it's so ugly. The things that are said, the things that are done, the things that are said to me after a victory, the threats that come to me. He said, you know, it's, it's very defeating he said, I walked in this church today, and he said, I want you to know there's a spirit here that is very kind, and I, I want you to pray for me. And I said, we'll pray. We'll pray. And so I want to encourage you and challenge you to pray for your politicians that are standing in the gap, making up the hedge. There's wickedness in high places, in high places. Think about that. The Lord said, there's wickedness in high places and uh, I imagine it's the highest wickedness in some of the highest places God promotes but so does the devil and there's a battle raging and we need to be praying that God will bless those who are trying to stand in the gap and make up the hedge I'm trying to get to know you a little bit I hope you and I'm trying to let you get to know me a little bit before I just jump in the preaching here I'm excited about the preaching I normally come straight to the pulpit and just start preaching. That's the way in which I do it. I try to give preaching uh, 
the primary place in a church service. Um, but I feel like we need to get to know one another a little bit here so that the preaching uh, might be received through the person. God uses personalities, doesn't He? Well, I have one. Uh, I don't know what kind of personality I am, but uh, you can judge it and you'll know it. Can I discover if there's anyone like me today? I'm visiting. I'm not the pastor of this church, but I am the brother-in-law of the pastor of this church. Uh, your new pastor, Leonard Himes, also known to us as Buddy, uh, is coming. He's coming in January. I'm looking forward to him getting here. And uh, we're delighted to be here. He asked me to come to speak, and uh, I'm grateful to God for this opportunity. I used to be Buddy's youth pastor back when we were in St. Louis, Missouri, and his father was pastoring there, and uh, I came. As his, I've known him since he was just probably 12 or 13 years old. I've known him and um, married his sister, of course, and know his family. Very talented and gifted family, all of them. Very talented and gifted. And God uses them all in a great way. They have a heart for God, all of them. Their mother is a godly Christian lady that loves the Lord. And... Um, just loves the Lord, and we're grateful to God for it. They raised some wonderful children, and uh, I'll let him tell you his testimony, his background, and where they all came from. But God's using him. He's given him a great family. He has some wonderful children that they're raising, and I want to encourage you to love them, to love them. How many of you are visiting here today? Anyone say, this is not my home church? Would you raise your hand along with my family? Great. How many would say, I'm a member of this church? Would you raise your hand? Wonderful. How many say, I'm visiting, I'm, I'm not a member, but I'm, I'm, I'm visiting? Would, would you raise your hand again if, if there's anything like that? Just my wife and I. Great. How many say, I'm a regular attender, but I'm not a member? Would you raise your hand? I'm not trying to point you out. Wonderful. Great. Glad you're here. What a blessing. That's great. Glad you're coming. And uh, it's exciting. I, I think you have much to look forward to as you greet and welcome the new pastor of Southwest Baptist Church here. Uh, immensely talented, immensely gifted by God. And he and his wife both, I think you ladies are going to love Hallie. She's a wonderful lady. She's a great speaker. And uh, she, she's a people person. I think you're going to love her. And God's going to use them in, in the state of Texas. I'm grateful. I pray for the state of Texas. I hope you do too. And I pray for the pastors in the state of Texas. And I'm glad to have another friend close here in Texas uh, to fellowship with and all those types of things. Good, good. Can you hear me well? Good. What if I speak like this? Can you hear me well if I speak like this? Are you still able to hear me? Great, good. I'm just trying to get comfortable. I hope you understand that. I was born and raised in West Virginia. West Virginia. I made it out with all my teeth. I don't wear bibbed overalls, but I do have shoes. Uh, and so uh, we made it out. A bunch of hillbillies in West Virginia, mountain people. I'm sure you've seen some of them on television or you've heard some things about uh, mountaineers. Uh, most of them are true. And so the, the toothbrush was invented in West Virginia. Had it been invented anywhere else, it would have been called the teeth brush. You know, but uh, yeah, it's, it's silly, isn't it? You know how you can tell if a mountaineer is married he has tobacco juice running down both sides of his pickup truck 
That's terrible, isn't it? And I've met a many an old lady that rubbing snuff or chewing tobacco, sat on her front porch, spitting, you know. It's crude, but it's true. And uh, lots of things could be said about West Virginians, but it's my home state. I'm grateful to God for it. My, my folks are not in ministry. Uh, my father was a telephone man. He's now retired. And my mother was a registered nurse, and she's retired. And they're just faithful Christians. My father leads the congregational singing in his church. And my mother's just a godly lady, serves in the nursery. And uh, they've raised two preachers and a daughter. And uh, she's a scientist. She's not really, but she used to come home from school. She's two years older than me, a little almost three years older than me. And she'd come home and she'd say to me, Hold still, my science teacher told me to try this. <laughs> and she could tort my body and my neck. One time she put me in traction. I had to go see the chiropractor. She worked me over real good. But uh, she's a lot of fun. Christana, she has three children. They're all, two of them are married. She has grandchildren. It's hard to believe. But uh, wonderful Christian people. She married a man in our town, works in the big aluminum factory in our town. And they teach Sunday school and junior church and all those things. Just wonderful. Good. I wish I could get to know you. I feel like this is a one-sided conversation, you know. But uh, I want you to know me a little bit. Well, good. Let's take our Bibles, can we? Let's begin the preaching. I want you to go to the book of Jude, if you would. Jude is this little small book in the back of your Bible. And uh, I'd ask you to stand, if you would, for the reading of God's Word. Uh, Jude is a small book. It's uh, right before the book of Revelation. Jude, when you find it, there's only one chapter. Uh, 25 verses, Jude, and uh, we'll begin reading in the first verse. And I want to talk to you today about what to expect, what to expect from your local church. What to expect from your local church, right? It's a local church, it's a local assembly. What should you expect from a place like this? Jude chapter 1, the Bible says in verse 1, Jude, the servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to them that are sanctified by God the Father and preserved in Jesus Christ and called, mercy unto you and peace and love be multiplied. Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that ye should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. For there are certain men crept in unawares, who were before of old ordained to this condemnation, ungodly men, turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness, and denying the only Lord God and the Lord Jesus Christ. I will therefore put you in remembrance, though ye once knew how, this, how that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed them that believed not, and the angels which kept not their first estate, but left their own habitation, he hath preserved in everlasting chains in the darkness unto the kingdom of the great day, even as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities about them in like manner, giving themselves over to fornication and going after strange flesh, and set forth an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. Likewise, also these filthy dreamers defile the flesh, despise dominion and speak evil of dignities. Yet Michael the archangel, when contending with the devil, 
He disputed about the body of Moses, durst not bring against him a railing accusation, but said, The Lord rebuke thee, but these speak evil of those things that they know not. But what they know naturally is brute beasts. In those things they corrupt themselves. Woe unto them, for they have gone in the way of Cain, and ran greedily after the error of Balaam for reward, and perished in the gainsaying of Kor. These are spots in their flesh of charity, in their feasts of charity. When they feast with you, feeding themselves without fear, clouds they are, without rain, carried about with winds. Trees whose fruit withereth, without fruit, twice dead, plucked up by the roots. Raging waves of the sea, foaming out their own shame. Wandering stars, to whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. You know what they are? They're empty. They're without. They're without fear. They're without water. They're without fruit. They're twice dead. You ever eaten something that's dead? I hope you have. And you ever had somebody kill it again in the cooking? <laughs> It's twice dead, man. You can't get nothing out of it. It's hard. It's dry. It's dead. It's, it's, it's unbearable. It's ridiculous. Twice dead. Plucked up by the roots. There's no hope of life. The roots aren't there anymore. They've got to be in the soil. They've got to be in the water. It's a shame. They're wandering stars. They have no home. They have no place, no dwelling. Verse 14, And Enoch also the seventh day from Adam prophesied of these, saying, Behold, the Lord cometh with ten thousand of his saints to execute judgment upon all and to convince all that are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds which they have ungodly committed and of their hard speeches which ungodly sinners have spoken unto him. These are murmurs and complainers walking after their own lusts. And their mouth speaketh grace-filling words, having men's persons in admiration because of advantage. Beloved, remember ye the words which were spoken before of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ, how that they told you there should be mockers, these are counterfeit in the last times, who should walk after their own ungodly lusts. These be they who separate themselves, sensual, having not the Spirit. But ye, beloved, building up your own selves on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost, keeping yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. And if some have compassion, making a difference, and others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garments spotted by the flesh. Now unto him that is able to preserve or keep you from falling and to preserve you, present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. To the only wise God, our Savior, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and ever. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. This is the precious Word of God. You and I have it in our hands. We hold it and we cling to it. This book of Jude is one to help us to earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered. It was needful for Jude, the brother of James, to write this message to the believers, to the church. Notice whom he's writing. He says to the servants of Jesus Christ in verse 1, to them that are sanctified by God the Father, preserved in Christ and called. Let's talk about to whom he's speaking. Who is he writing this book to? He's writing this book to the church, those who've been sanctified. Sanctified means to be set apart to God. 
When you and I were saved, how many of you know the Lord Jesus Christ is your Savior? If you died today, you know that heaven is your eternal home. Jesus Christ is your Savior. Me too. I was saved when I was five years old. I came to know the Lord Jesus Christ. Somebody told me that I was a sinner. And because of my sin, I deserve to die and go to hell. Hell is reserved and preserved for Satan and his demons. And for those who call not upon Jesus Christ. It's preserved. But those who know Jesus Christ have been sanctified. We've been set apart from that for God. And for those, there's a place called heaven. Heaven is a wonderful place. It's filled with glory and grace. Someday I'm going to see my Savior face to face. Heaven's a wonderful place, isn't it? It is, and I'm looking forward to it. The sweeter heaven becomes with every person that I know that passes. And every trial that comes my way, heaven just gets sweeter. We've been sanctified. Not only are we sanctified, set apart for God, but you and I, there is this progressive sanctification that takes place in the heart of every believer. That is, you and I ought to be constantly setting ourselves apart for God. This is the matter of holiness. Holiness. Not only are we sanctified, but the Bible says here in the book of Jude, he's speaking to those that are preserved, preserved. Just as hell is reserved and preserved, and it's a place where the fire is not quenched, the worm dieth not, it is a place where the devil is going and will be, and all his demons will be bound forever. That is reserved and preserved for them. So are we preserved? We're preserved. I have eternal life. God has given to me eternal life. It's my present possession. It's mine. It's never going away. I don't get it when I die. It's mine now. Christ liveth in me. And if you know Jesus Christ is your Savior, Christ liveth in you. You're preserved, set aside. Not only do I have eternal life, but I have everlasting life. In other words, it's without end and it's without interruption. Don't think that eternal life, everlasting life and eternal life are the same. They're two separate words. doesn't mean the same thing. It's without end and without interruption. The moment I trusted Jesus Christ as my Savior, I was born again. I was placed into the family of God. My name was written down in the Lamb's book of life and heaven was preserved for me and I was gifted the Holy Spirit of God. And He lives inside of me. I'm preserved. The devil cannot win the victory over my soul and my spirit. It's been given to God. I am preserved. And if you know Jesus Christ is your Savior, you have the same gift. There's many people walking around with it that don't know it. They put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, but they have fear that leads them to doubt their salvation. They have sin in their life that leads them to doubt their salvation. Peter speaks of that. I believe it's 2 Peter chapter 1. He says we ought to be adding to our faith virtue and to virtue knowledge, to knowledge temperance, to temperance patience, to patience godliness, to godliness brotherly kindness, to brotherly kindness. We add charity. What is charity? Charity is loving people the way God loves people. How does God love people? John 3, 16, God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. How can you love people the way God loves people? Give them Jesus Christ. Don't withhold it from them. Give it to them. 
Give them Jesus Christ. Be a witness. But he goes on, Peter does, and he says, But he that lacketh these things is blind and cannot see afar off, and has forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. There's many Christians wandering around, walking around wondering if they're dying and going to hell, wondering if they ever were truly saved. You know why? Because there's sin in your life. Mark it down. If you have doubt about your salvation, it's because you have sin in your life. Sin will lead you to doubt God and take Him at His word. How can I be saved and keep doing things like this? How can God truly love me? You think about that because it's the sin in your life, the things you do against God. If you'll add to your faith, start living for the Lord, living virtuously, learning more about the Lord, loving the brethren, attending church faithfully, finding your friendships among the brethren, this brotherly kindness, and then start living for God, telling people about Jesus Christ and sharing the gospel with others. You won't doubt your salvation. The sweeter gets the journey. You'll see God working in your life. You'll see God using you. You'll experience the love of Christ dwelling in you. Oh, what a blessing it is when God speaks to your heart. You have the Holy Spirit of God that has preserved you. You are called unto this. This is the purpose God has for your life. Jude says, I'm writing to those that are preserved, sanctified, and called. God found you. God has found you. You would know nothing of God if God did not know you and call you. I'm not a Calvinist, but we love Him. Why? Because He first loved us. I don't have Reformed theology. I have Bible theology. We would know nothing of God if He did not reveal Himself to us. If He did not come and walk and talk with Adam in the garden, we would know nothing of Him. We know nothing of Him if He did not first love us and give us His Word, but He gave us His Word so we could know Him. We'd have no hope of salvation if He did not first give His Son for us, so He gave His Son from the foundation of the world. The Lamb of God was slain to take away the sin of the world. And God is calling out to all who will be saved. The message rings forth. It rings forth. And you and I are messengers. We've been called to be messengers. We've been called to contend for the faith that was once delivered. This common salvation was given. It's our job. It's our work. You cannot do the work of Christ if you are not sanctified, set apart for God and setting yourself aside for God in holiness. You have no power You have no power. You live like the devil and you're going to tell people about God? That doesn't match. This is why the Lord says, Come out from among them and be separate, say the Lord. Touch not the unclean thing. And He says, I will be a father to you. And ye shall be my sons. We're His born ones. We're not only the born ones, but we're the ones that inherit all things. We get His blessing when we're living right and doing right. We've been called to this to promote this common salvation which was once delivered. This is God's work in the world. 
I want to talk to you about what you should expect from your local church. You're getting a new pastor. He's going to lead this church. He's going to guide this church. He's going to help you. He's going to organize you. He's going to work diligently. He's going to pray for you. He's going to expect you to pray for Him. He's going to expect you to get on board with what's going on in the life of this local church. He's expecting you to do the work of Christ in this world that God has called you to do. What should you expect from your local church? Number one, it ought to be a place where the Bible is essential. It ought to be a place where the Bible is essential. The Bible should be the sole authority. It should be our authority. Every member of the church should give the Word of God supreme authority in their lives. Every member. Not my will. Not your will. Not the pastor's will. Not your ideas. Not the pastor's ideas. Not the former pastor's ideas. But... What does the Word of God tell us we ought to be doing? This ought to be our sole authority. If it's in the Bible, just go ahead and say yes. It's determined you want to do it. You're going to love it. You're going to be excited about it. The Bible ought to be the sole authority in our lives. It should function, this Bible should function with independent power over the church. Independent power over the church. It should function this way. It should be the final authority of the church's faith and practice. Why do we take up an offering? Why do we sing? Why do we baptize? Why do we soul win? Why do we, why do we reach people, go out and compel them to come in? Why do we teach the Bible? Because it is found in the Word of God. Why do we fellowship? Why do we take the Lord's Supper? Why do we reach the community? Why do we support missionaries? Because it's in the Bible. It's the sole authority. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse number 21. Would you find it? 1 Corinthians 1 and 21. I'm using the book of Jude as a springboard to share some things with you. 1 Corinthians 1 and 21. Would you get there in the Word of God? I want you to know the Bible is our sole authority, but the Bible should be preached. It should be preached. Preaching is different than teaching, and teaching is different than preaching. The Bible should be preached. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse number 21, the Bible says, For after that in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom do not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. Never underestimate the power of the pulpit and the power of preaching. Never underestimate it. I want to encourage you, church family. Listen, I want to encourage you. Stay under Bible preaching. Stay under Bible preaching. If your pastor ever comes up here and preaches something other than the Bible, I want to encourage you to talk to him and encourage him. Tell him what you really need. What we really need to hear, Pastor, is the Bible. We need the Bible preached to us. I love when you preach the Bible. A great way to encourage a pastor is when he does something right, tell him that you appreciate it. That'll help him to keep doing that which is right. It should be preached. Not only should it be preached, but it should be taught. It should be taught. All preaching should contain some teaching, and all teaching is probably going to contain some preaching. Uh, some of you were in Sunday school with me. I'm certain that in that Sunday school lesson, there was some preaching. I just can't help it. It's in me, you know. And almost every teaching has some preaching in it. It should be taught. 
Matthew 28, 19 tells us that we're to go in all nations and we're to teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The Bible ought to be the sole authority. It ought to be preached. It ought to be, it ought to be taught. It ought to be taught. This is what you can expect from your local church. This is what you ought to expect from your new pastor. Secondly, it ought to be a place where prayer is essential. Where prayer is essential. Prayer is primary to the work of God. It's primary to the work of God. Jeremiah 33 and verse number 3 says this, Call unto me, I'll answer thee, and show the great and mighty things which thou knowest not. Which thou knowest not. Don't you want to see some things happen in a church that you didn't think could happen in a church? Oh, I do. I do. We just had our missions month in our church and we had a great missions conference. Tom Lancaster came and preached. We had a number of missionaries, one starting churches in the Florida Keys and one starting a church in downtown Atlanta. God answered our prayer, gave him a, a building, a huge church right downtown Atlanta. Some investors bought it. We're going to tear it down and build a huge high-rise apartment and office complexes. They couldn't do it because it's part of the historical society. It has to stay a church. And this church, a small group, about 20 people, and made an offer on this building to buy this building for $4.3 million. They don't have it. They made a petition to these people. And just yesterday, they found out that they're going to be able to get this building. And they're going to be the only ones in the building right across from Georgia Tech University and, and have their church in this brand new, not brand new, this beautiful historical building. You ought to see it. What God has done. We had some missionaries going to the Philippines and some missionaries going to Africa. And I was praying. Our church last year gave $223,000 to the work of world missions. And we're grateful to God for that. And uh, I was praying. We, our numbers just a few years ago, we were given 119,000. Then it's jumped up to 157,000. Then last year it was 223,000. And I thought, boy, if we could reach the $250,000 mark, quarter of a million dollars given to missions each year, supporting missionaries. And we've got, we've got 83 missionaries currently we're supporting. I think God's doing it. We're grateful to God for it. I'm not telling you all this to, to brag or anything. I want you to know what God did. And I was praying for 250000 And our church family came together. And they've committed to give over $350,000 to World Missions. Just blew my mind. Just blew my mind. $131,000 more than the last year's commitment. Just blew my mind what God did. I want to see some things like that. It comes through prayer. Through prayer. Prayer is primary to the work of God. There's great expectation of your pastor coming. Oh, I'm so excited for you. You know, he's got, he's got more talents than I could tell you about. He can play just about any instrument he picks up. He could sing mightily. He's led choirs, huge choirs and grown choirs. He's great at building and grounds. He's 
a great preacher. He's a great student of the Word of God. He's mightily gifted. He's funny. Uh, he's, he's, a, he's a dynamic personality. He walks into a room. It lights up. You know, it's like everybody turns towards him. If he's not careful, that's going to be his greatest weakness. Charisma. He's got it all. He's got a beautiful family. God's gifted him. He's got great heritage and stock. God's blessed him in his upbringing, in his family. There's much to think about the future of this church. But if you depend solely upon talent, you depend only upon what you can accomplish. It has no chance of survival. Prayer is a primary work. I would encourage you to pray for your pastor. Pray for your fellow church members. Pray for one another. Ask God for things that's beyond your imagination. Things you don't even think could happen. Ask God. Have faith in God. What does it mean to have faith in God? Well, sometimes it's, it's just simply saying it before it's reality. You think this place could be packed out? We have to build a new building? I do. It could happen. It could happen. Why? Because the gospel's not lost its power. It's not lost its power. Don't believe the lies that the church is no longer advancing and the church is dead. Don't believe those lies. The church of the living God is alive today and all power has been given unto you. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, beginning in Jerusalem. Right where you are. All power. Prayer. It's a primary work. It's the primary work of God. The Lord says, without me you can do nothing. Prayer is primary to the will of God. This church is going to go through transition. Be ready for it. It's going to go through transition. Every church has a personality. It's a living organism. Every church has a personality. That's when I said, I want you to get to know me, and I'm trying to get to know you. I'm trying to learn the church's personality. What do you like? Are you going to talk back to me? Uh, are, are, you all, are you disconnected or connected? I'm trying to learn you, and I want you to learn me. Every church is a personality, and every preacher is a personality. And every time a new pastor comes in, the church takes on a new personality. I've been pastoring the church I'm pastoring for eight years. A man came to me a few years ago after I'd been preaching for two or three years. And he said, I think the thing that God is using you to do to change this church. He said, what I think God is doing with you, he's, he's bringing, speaking the truth in love. So we've always been good about speaking the truth, but we've not spoken in love. That's his personal opinion. I don't know that I fully agree with that. I know the former pastor. But he was seeing that there was a different personality amongst the body. And your new pastor is going to attract different people. And the church is going to take on a new personality. 
You want it to be biblical. You want it to be right. You want it to be kind, friendly. You want it to be one that preaches the gospel. But you don't have to lay down anything. We don't have to knock anything off of God to make Him relevant to today. We don't have to take away any of His holiness to make Him relevant today. God has always been relevant. Always been relevant. We just need to preach Jesus Christ and Him crucified. We need to pray and ask God for His will to be done. Prayer is primary to the will of God. Matthew 6 and 6 says, When you pray, enter in thy closet, and when thou hast shut the door, pray thy Father to thy Father which is in secret, and thy Father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. God will help you. We ought to be praying, God, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Thy will be done. You want to know what God wants you to do? Get to the work of prayer. Prayer is primary to the worship of God. It's primary to the worship of God. Prayer. The church ought to be a place where prayer is essential. It's, the wor- it, it's essential and primary to the work of God. It's primary to the will of God. It's primary to the worship of God. Matthew 18 and 20 says, For where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am I in the midst of them. Psalm 145, 18 says, The Lord is nigh unto them that call upon Him, to all that call upon Him in truth. You know where worship really ought to take place? Not publicly, though it should. But where does it begin? Public worship must always be preceded by private worship. By private worship. Spending time with God in prayer and in His Word. It always, it always ought to. If you come here without having spent time with God and you come here and you want everybody to know how you like to worship God, but you don't do it privately, you're a hypocrite. You're a fraud. Jude told us that. He said, there's these people who are counterfeits. They're counterfeits. He said, they're sensual. They have not the Spirit of God. They can't begin to worship God because they haven't spent time with the Spirit of God. He said, they're mockers. Just make a mock of the house of God. It's all about a show. The church ought not be a performance. The churches, many churches in our day and age have become nothing but a performance. The church ought not be a performance. You come and you sit and you watch. It ought to be something you participate in. But that public participation must be preceded preceded by private worship. And when we meet God in His holiness in private worship, we won't do anything publicly that is not according to God's will. We'll not do anything that offends God's holiness. I'm sorry, but when we get to heaven, I don't think there's going to be some great drummer up there banging his head and doing some drum roll for Jesus. I just don't think that's in the character of God. I don't. Prayer is primary to the worship of God. We must spend time with Him. Then, number three, we said... It's a place 
where the Bible is essential. It's a place where prayer is essential. What should you expect from your church? It ought to be a place where true worship, true worship is essential. Worship ought to encompass much more than music. Sometimes when we think about worship, that's all we think about is what kind of praise and worship do you have? What's the music of your church like? Worship ought to encompass much more than music. Would you listen as I read some of the, just some scriptures? I want to bounce around here and try to help us. But Matthew 14, 33 says, When they that were in the ship, they came and worshipped him, saying, Of a truth, thou art the Son of God. You remember when he calmed the storm? You ought to worship God when God calms your storm. Matthew 2, 11 when they were coming to the house, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and fell down and worshipped him. When they had opened their treasures, they presented him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. Jesus, robed in flesh, he came to us. You ought to worship God when God comes to you. When he meets you where you are. When he helps you in your situation. When he is present you ought to fall on your face and worship Him. Matthew 8, 2. Behold, there came a leper and worshipped Him, saying, Lord, if Thou wilt, Thou canst make me clean. When should you worship God? When you've got some serious problems. You know what happens when you and I worship God when we've got some serious problems? We come up refreshed. Our problems aren't so great. You know the fear of God... The fear of God, it lessens all other fears. The fear of God. When you and I can get along with God, we see who He is and what He's like. It's just a thorn in the flesh. Any other problem, it's just a thorn in the flesh. I ask God to take it from me, but He's not going to, and that's okay. He has every right to do what He wants. He's God. And I want him to have my life and do with me as he pleases. When should we worship God? When we have some big problems. Matthew 9, 18, the Bible says, While he spake these things unto them, behold, there came a certain ruler and worshipped him, saying, My daughter is even now dead, but come and lay thy hand upon her and she shall live. When should we worship God? When we need God to make a difference. We ought to worship God. God, you can raise her from the dead if you will. God, we need your hand on this place. God, you can raise us up. It's a mighty church in Midland, Texas to reach the community. But Lord, we're not going to stop there to reach the world. You can do it, God. Come and worship Matthew 18, 26, The servant therefore fell down and worshipped him, saying, Lord, have patience with me, and I will pay thee all. This is not speaking of the Lord Jesus Christ. But when should you and I, when should we fall and worship God? This master is representing God in a particular way. When should we fall on our face? When you and I have a debt. It's too great. We can't pay it. 
And we need God's patience and help in our sin. Oh, there's so many more I'd like to share with you. I won't for sake of time. But Mark 5, 6, they saw Jesus afar off and ran and worshipped Him. Get there. Get to the place of worship. Believers worshipped. You know there's going to be worship in heaven. Revelation 5, 14, John said, I saw into heaven. There were four beasts said, Amen. And the four beasts and the twenty elders fell down and worshipped Him that liveth forever. And they sang and John said, Man, I couldn't help myself. When they were worshipping God, I did the same. I fell on my face and I too worshipped the Lord. When should you worship the Lord? When others are worshipping the Lord. This is why we meet together and we worship God. We fall on our face. We're not worthy. Everything we've ever earned, everything we ever are, it all belongs to God. We take our crowns off. I'm not worthy to wear a crown. He wore the crown. And we cast our crowns at His feet. We fall on our face. And we sing, Holy, 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 thrice holy. Holiness to its superlative. God is holy. Lord God Almighty, which is and was and is to come. Oh, He's the eternal God. We worship Him. In the Old Testament, they worship the Lord. We ought to worship God. Worship ought to be much more than music. Worship ought to be sacred. It ought to be sacred. It ought to be sacred. Jude says here, if you go back to our text in Jude, he says those that are worthy of hell, walking after their own lusts. He says in verse 19, These be they who separate themselves sensual, having not the Spirit. There are two types of worship. Sensual worship and spiritual worship. Sensual worship and spiritual worship. Sensual worship is soul worship. It's fleshly. It's convenient. We're made of three-part being, body, soul, and spirit. Body, soul, and spirit. Some never get past soul worship. Soul's aware of self. I like it this way. I like this kind of thing. I like this kind of music. I like this kind of preacher. I like, I like, I like, I like. That's sensual. That appeals to me. But our worship shouldn't appeal to us. Our worship ought to be not soul worship, but spirit worship. That which pleases God. Putting away self. It's unnatural. It's denying the flesh. It's a sacrifice. It ought to be sacred. And then worship ought to engage one's spirit. It ought to engage one's spirit. Not soul worship, but spirit worship. What should you expect? What should you expect from your local church? You should expect that it's a place where true worship is essential. It ought to be a place where prayer is essential. And ought to be a place where the Bible is essential. If you'll take these things, you'll apply yourself to them. You appreciate the preaching of the Word of God. You'll spend time in prayer. 
and you'll get involved in private worship that leads to public worship. Oh, what a thing God can do with this church. With you, with you, God can do it. God can do it. If you do not know the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, the Lord says, now is the accepted time. Today is the day of salvation. Jesus Christ died to save you from your sins. He's the only way. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. There's no other way. Your good works can't get you there. Uh Uh-uh. No, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy He saved us. If you get to heaven by your good works and everybody gives you glory when we get to heaven, good job. You made it, man. Frank, I didn't know you'd make it, but good, you must have done something good. No, that's not the way it's going to be in heaven. All the worship belongs to Jesus. All the glory belongs to Him. The only way for you to get to heaven is through Jesus Christ, our Lord. How? Well, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. You must believe that you're a sinner and that you have offended God. Confess that sin to God. Ask God to cleanse your heart. Hell is your eternal end because of your sin. Confess it to God. Ask Him to forgive you. And He will do it. He'll do it. Believe. Jesus is the Son of God. He's the only begotten. You must believe. And then believe that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. Our neighbor told my wife, I want what you have. I want what you have. And my wife gave her the gospel. And my wife got to this point of you must believe that he rose from the grave. And this woman, who's a millionaire, said to my wife, I'm an educated person. I cannot believe that Jesus rose from the grave. And my wife said, well, then you cannot be saved. You cannot have what I have. You must believe. If you will believe with your heart and confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And so I invite you today to put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. If you're a saved individual, I want to encourage you to begin now praying. I want to encourage you to begin now bathing yourself in the Word of God. And I want to encourage you now to begin this private time of worship with God and prayer. Let God do His work in you and through you. Let's stand to our feet together if we could. I believe someone's coming.